The scripture reading for today comes from the book of Philippians, chapter 2. verse 25 through 30. Philippians chapter 2, verse 25 through 30. If you don't have a Bible, uh, there are a few Bibles in the pews. Philippians two twenty-five through 30. This is the word of God. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he's been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only in him, but on me also, lest I should also have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. This is the word of God. We are in part 11 of our series on the book of Philippians. And after today, next week, we're going to have one more message um, from Pastor Young. He's going to also speak out of, out of a slightly different portion of this passage. And then that's going to, and then we're going to take a break from Philippians. And we're, then we're going to have a series on church leadership for a while that will take us into um, Thanksgiving. But today, I, I want to talk about this. Today is a picture of the church. And then this is a maybe not a, a famous story to many of you. You probably maybe you know Epaphroditus isn't one of the most famous people in the Bible. Um, half of you are like, how do you even pronounce that name? And um, and yet it is such a beautiful thing that's happening inside this in, the, in these few verses. And really, what it is is a picture of what the church can be like, what the church should be like. And. Today, we have the message about the love and the mission of the church. The love and the mission. There should be a mission and a love. And if you've been in this church, you're thinking, well, haven't you already said all this stuff before? Um, yes and no, but I think hearing it this way and seeing it in this, in this story, in these few verses, will be very helpful, hopefully, to many of you. And, uh, and especially even if you're here and you're not a Christian, um, maybe you can get a sense of what, what the church is supposed to be like. Um, In three parts, as I usually do. Part one, a story of missional sacrifice and love. A story of missional sacrifice and love. Part two, koinonia and the healthy gospel hybrid. Koinonia is a word that means fellowship or partnership. And I talked about that earlier in the series. But what is a church? And I'm going to get at this. A church is actually something that's not quite like any any other gathering in the world and it's a hybrid of two things that you're familiar with, organization and family. Um, but there's, there's, if there were going to be a healthy gospel church, we're a special kind of hybrid. I'm going to talk about that. And in part three, the greatest honor. It says here to honor such people. Honor somebody like Epaphroditus. And I hope that many of you look, are looking for honor. Um, I certainly am. What is that greatest honor and how does that come about? Okay. 
Um, let's get to part one, a story of missional sacrifice and love. This is uh, some of it, okay, what's going on here? Um, as I said earlier in the series, Paul is in a prison. And this isn't, uh, a, 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 this isn't modern times here. He's in this prison. This is not Philippi. This is, um, it's, it's far away. And the people of the church, this is a very beautiful church in the city of Philippi. It's a church that was actually planted by Paul. And if you go back to one of my earlier messages, I, I tell that story. And it was a remarkable church. They had, uh, it was a multi-ethnic church. It was a socioeconomically diverse church. So you had poor, rich, educated, working class, different ethnicities. And it was a church that Paul said had much rejoicing and of love. And he says, even at the very beginning of this letter, I long to see you. So this church hears news that this pastor um, who planted their church, this, uh, this leader, this brother whom they love very much, is rotting in a prison cell. So what do they do? What they do is, nowadays, if you want to encourage somebody, you want to write them a letter or something, I mean, we could, you could literally whip out your, your smartphone and send them an email. And these days, a guy sitting in prison could get, I guess, I guess he gets computer break or something like this. And he could literally go to the computer cluster and check his email. But that's not the way it works today. It worked back then. Back then, if you wanted to send word and you want to send care to somebody who's in prison, you would have to have a meeting, have a plan, raise money, find out and pick one of your very best people, and he would have to make a dangerous trip somewhere there and then spend some time with this person. And what are some of his needs? Well, he may need medical needs. He may have been beaten and maybe is still beaten, and you would like to bring him medical needs. Um, certainly he would need some company. He would need love. He may, you may, he may bring letters from some of the others and brothers and sisters from the church. Maybe you bring special food because you want to bless him. Or at the very least, this messenger, this person that you send, you'd need money. And so you'd have to bring money. And this, and this trip would not, be, would not be easy and probably it would take a long time. This guy Epaphroditus, he had to take time away from his job. I don't know how long, but probably at least a month. It would take... Um, it would take several days' journey just to get to the, um, to the prison. And he, maybe he had to plan to spend maybe a couple times, a couple weeks with Paul. And then it would take him some time to come back. So time, take away from his job. Um, we would have to raise money, and he'd have to carry money. Not, he's not, he, doesn't have, he doesn't have a visa or a MasterCard or traveler's checks. He's got money on him. So he's, he's taking this journey, and there's dangers. Um, the dangers from travel, where you could get kidnapped. Um, the dangers from being robbed. And the danger of getting sick. And that's exactly what happened. He gets sick. Even today, I mean, this is back then. Today, even in this very modern world, a lot of this stuff could still happen. If we send somebody to care for one of our missionaries or, or, or someone that's like in another country, you know, as many of you know, he could get sick. And you don't know what the quality of the medical care uh, in, the other, in the other country could be like. And that's exactly what happened to this brother Epaphroditus. He's probably one of their deacons. You wouldn't just send any old person. Um, in, the, in the Bible, they talk about deacons who, who do the special care. He's probably ordained and set aside someone that has much respect and trust to, to take on such a mission. 
And in, just as last week I talked about, we raise up, we're raising up like fathers to send some of our very best men, Epaphrodites from the church of Philippi. He's probably one of their very best. So then he goes to this other city, then he gets really sick, and he almost dies. So, and then listen to what happens here. Then this very beautiful exchange. So nothing, this hasn't gone according to plan. Um, a difficult and painful piece of suffering has happened, and now on both cities, there's a lot of hurt and fear that's going on. And so Paul, he actually talks like this. He says, um, the Lord, he saved me. He, he, he rescued me from sorrow upon sorrow. And what does he mean? He's saying, sorrow is this. So one, there's a brother whom I love very much, came to see me, minister to me, love me, care for me. And now he's sick and he almost died. And if he died, it would just put me in such tremendous grief. But the other thing he's saying is, if he died, I would know that you, my brothers and sisters in Philippi, you would have such tremendous grief. And since you would hurt, I would hurt. That would be my other sorrow. And, and the Lord, he kept me from both sorrows. And so now what I want to do is, i got to send them back to you. And, and I, I want the Lord to relieve me of this anxiousness. I'm anxious. Do you hear what he's saying? And it's very strange for me. Um, I have... I feel like I know Paul. I've read his letters. I've studied him. I've thought about this man and all that he has done, the way he spilled his life out. And anxiety is not something I think that's a, a trait of Paul. And yet here he has anxiety. What is his anxiety? His anxiety is you, my brothers and sisters in Philippi, you're so worried about him and you hurt for him. And now... I, my anxiety is going to be relieved when I can send him back to you. And when he gets home, and I'll know that you're, you've embraced him, you're so joyful to have him back, you can see that he's okay, then my anxiety will be relieved. Think of what's going on here. This passage, this is the way Paul put it early in the chapter, and I, and I preach this to you. Here's what he says. He says, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. I don't know if Paul was actually thinking about this thing that's happening with Epaphroditus, this drama that's happening with Epaphroditus when he wrote this letter. Um, and then he's saying, okay, I'm going to write this letter, and this will like strategically <laughs> illustrate uh, this, this thing that's happening with what, what I said earlier. I don't think that's what he was necessarily thinking, but I absolutely think God was thinking that. Because this thing that Paul is telling the Philippian church to be, that is exactly happening here in this, in this interaction. The church knew of their brother hurting in prison. What did they do? Did they think of their own interests and their own concerns? They thought of his needs as more significant than their own. So they rallied together. They took one of their very best. He sacrificed his work, his money, his time. They sacrificed their money. They sacrificed their very best people. And then he went off and he, they literally could have sacrificed him because he almost died. So that's their concern for him. So then what does Paul do? Wouldn't it be great? You're sitting in a prison. You might have whiplash. I mean, literally lashes from whippings on your back. I'm not talking whiplash from like you're in a car accident. I'm talking you've been lashed with a whip on your back. 
You're sitting in a prison. Um, you could be halfway starving. You're lonely. And then this person whom you know, whom you love, shows up. He's specifically there to give you the, the food that you miss, <laughs> the company that you miss, um, to put medicine on your back. Maybe who would even have gone into the city, hired a doctor, that doctor shows up with them in the prison so that doctor can specifically treat you. And wouldn't you want that brother to be around for a couple weeks? But instead, no. Instead, Paul says, I need to, you need to go back. Now just, just think about this person. He's, thinking, he's not thinking about himself. He's thinking about Epaphroditus. He's thinking about the church. Go, go, because all of them are thinking about the other people. But all of them are also deeply invested in the mission of the gospel. Paul, that's his, his whole life ambition, that people would know Jesus. He goes from city to city, facing dangers, facing rejection, being thrown into prisons. Um, and then all these other churches, they're saying, we're behind you. And by the way, um, well, I shouldn't say all of these other churches. Not all the churches were like this. Some of the churches that Paul planted, they didn't send anybody to go help him. And when Paul writes some of these letters, he's straight angry at some of these churches for how stupid they are, how backbiting they are, how angry they are. Right? But this is what's happening. The church knows that they don't just exist for themselves to practice religion and, then, and, and then to love each other as family. They exist for a glorious, incredible mission. This mission to proclaim Christ and people would know God and have their hearts transformed and be entered into this new family. So what you have right here is they, they sacrifice for a mission. Paul sacrifices for the mission. The church sacrifices for the mission. And then when they go forth in doing so, then, then bad things happen. Tough things happen. And, and then what happens? Do they start complaining? Do they start blaming each other? Hey, you didn't plan this right. Hey, you, you forgot about the money. We, we need to bring other experts. Is that what happens? No. Immediately they start thinking about the others. And, and their heart starts moving toward the others. And Paul's, his, his worries are for them. This is all that's happened. And if this is what the church should be like, now just imagine this, okay? Now let me bring this into our tip. Um, we, have, we have partners, missional partners elsewhere. Um, we, one of our, our most beloved um, missionaries, our missional partners, is in Thailand. Uh, we have a, a missionary family whom we love in Turkey. I don't know if you know this, um, but one of the most beloved missionaries on the Korean ministry side um, labors in Ghana. So would any of you ever like to go to Ghana? I would love to send some of you to Ghana. But imagine, I already know that um, our brother Daniel and Frank, next year they're, they're going to probably try to rally some of you guys to go to Thailand and then see how we can better support our, um, our missionary J.J. Huang and his wife Junya in Thailand. But Thailand, sometimes they have strange diseases. And imagine if Frank and Daniel were to go to Thailand and Frank were to get so sick, he'd be hospitalized in near death and word, we get an email <laughs> or a text even these days and said, um, Frank's in the hospital, everybody please pray for him. What would happen? The whole church, can you imagine? 
I mean, Frank is so beloved in the church, it really would be the whole church. It'd be everybody in this, everybody here. It'd be all the Korean ministry, everybody in the youth group, everybody in the children's ministry. The whole church would get really fearful and nervous. We would probably start having prayer meetings. I can imagine some people are saying, okay, we need to raise some more money. If who knows if their doctors are any good, we would, uh, and we would maybe send somebody there. That's what we would do. That's what we would do because he's our family member, because we love him. And it would hurt. And then I could imagine Pastor JJ, this is immediately what he would think. He's saying, you know, um, Frank and Daniel came here to minister to me, but I got to get them back. And he would write a very similar letter. This is the church. But just imagine if something else happened. Let's say a year later, uh, some, we sent some of you to Turkey. We sent some of you to Ghana. And of course, if we, and there's strange diseases, there's dangerous diseases that are passing around, even deadly diseases that are going through Africa, and you hear about them in the news. And if we know that's spreading around in Ghana, we, I mean, I'm not going to send my son to, to Ghana if I know that. But guess what? It could happen, even if nothing of that is in the news, and we know that we think it's safe. So then imagine if we send a team to Ghana, and some of them are in college. And one of them gets really sick and almost dies. Let's say he doesn't die, but that child comes back. That's, that 19-year-old comes back and then needs to spend some time in rehab, miss a semester or two of school, maybe has a recurring chronic illness that's debilitating for years and years. What would happen if that were to happen in our church? I fear the thing that, that could happen is that some people would get really angry a lot of finger pointing and backbiting would start to happen in the church. And they were saying, okay, that's it. No more, no more trips to Ghana. <laughs> no more trips to Turkey. No more trips to Bishop, you know, Native Americans or, or Thailand. Forget that. We're not going to do that anymore. Can you imagine if we sent the team to East San Jose and then while they were serving um, some of the poor folks in East San Jose, some gang warfare broke out on that street and one of our kids were to get shot and they end up in the hospital. And then it can, I mean, what would happen in our church? People say, oh, forget East San Jose. All right, I mean, that's it. No more of that. Oh, we can't go to Bishop. We can't go to Thailand. The whole mission was shut down. We would stop being, doing what we're here to do. And then people would start blaming and backbiting and, oh, the pastors, you didn't think about this. Well, well, how could we have thought about this? Well, we can do the best we can to take precautions, but nobody can know for sure. These things happen. You cannot perfectly plan, and this could happen. And, and I really fear that one of these days that there's going to be some really stupid person. If something happens to their kid, they're going to sue the church. And then our elders and our deacons, we're going to have to hire lawyers, We'll go to just a, um, stave this thing. And it would, be a it would drain our resources. It would start tremendous division in the church. We would stop being a family. We would stop loving each other. Instead, the whole mission would just fall apart. Huh. Let me tell you something. This is happening. This is how the devil attacks the church. And the church would just stop being the church. The church has mission and his family. The church has work to do. Has, has 
things to sacrifice for and plan for and, and, and train people up for. And then we also love each other and visit each other and encourage each other and cry for each other. And, and if this were to happen, if we were to send Frank, our church would certainly rally, would we not? But imagine if something terrible were to happen. I mean, just look at it. Imagine if we were to have an earthquake. We live in one of the most dangerous earthquake places in the whole country. Um, I, you know, just, just a little quick reminder, by the way. And imagine if we were to have a really terrible earthquake, something like a, whatever, 8.8 .8 on the Richter scale, and um, half our building falls down. And it happens on a day um, when it's, let's say, the latter portion after service, and there's a certain number of people here, and a couple of children die in one portion of our building. It could happen. What would we do? <laughs> would people get angry, sue each other, backbite against each other, blame the leadership for what we couldn't have foreseen? Or would we respond with mission and with love? What I would hope to happen was we would, we would all go to that funeral. We would weep with that family. We'd have incredible prayer meetings and we would cry for each other and we would pick each other up and then we would say, now let's get back to business. We'd say, we don't yet have the money for that wing of the building, so let's just put up a tent. We'd hire some bulldozers, they'd come up and carry, and then we'll put up a tent. And on this side of the building, we'll have this, and on this side of the building, we'll have that. And actually, um, and then we'll all just get patient. And we'll all just pick each other up. And we'll sacrifice for each other because half of our building is a tent. So it, we don't have a snazzy building. We don't, we're not very comfortable. In the winter, some people are like saying, and I hope the men will say, hey, ladies go over there. The men will be here. We'll deal with the cold. And, we'll, and, uh, and, and it'll rain upon us. And people will come to church. And they will say, they have the mission. And man, the love in this church is so thick. And if that were to happen, we would grow. <laughs> we would grow in faith. We would grow in humility. We would grow in sacrifice. We would grow in numbers. We would grow in offering. More people would get saved. Our church number, we would grow, and then we'd, re we'd, we'd build that thing back in no time. Isn't that what would happen? That's a church. That's the church. But if we just let the, the hardships... See, when something hard can happen in this life, but if we respond with mission and love, then Jesus shines deeply and brightly and the church advances forward. And we get joy and we know that God is in our midst. But if, but if we start backbiting and suing and complaining and, and start going to consumer, like, where's my self-interest mode? Then let me tell you something. Then we just suck. We're not the church. We're just unbelieving, selfish fleshly, not Jesus-filled people. We're just filled with our own lordship and our own selfishness. And if that's all our church is, then we're not the church. And you know, I hope God shuts us down. I'm serious. I hope we, our church dies out and we shut down because people will think this is what Christians are and this is who Jesus is. And that's false and that's horrid that people would think that about Jesus. But if we are this way, if every hardship that ever comes upon us, we begin to think of the others, then we can't ever be stopped. 
Let me go to part two of my message. Koinonia and the healthy gospel hybrid. Um, koinonia is this weird word, and it means fellowship and partnership, as I said in, 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 in a previous message. But, and here's what it talks about. It, and in that one word, the hybrid is there. The fellowship is, means I know you, you know me. We're close to each other. We love each other. There's the family. Okay, that's one aspect of the church. The partnership, though, is it's a partnership for the gospel. We proclaim, we train, we get discipled, we sacrifice, because the mission requires all these things. See? We needed space. It, it takes mortgage. It, it costs money to keep on these lights, okay? Uh, that means we need your sacrifice of finances and time. We're, we're asking you to come here to paint this room in a couple of weeks. I hope you'll, many of you will come out. I, I'm not even any good at painting, but I'm going to put on my, my worst clothes, and it's going to be great. It's going to be so fun, and I'm going to love watching you guys paint. And, but because the church is this. The church is a hybrid of an organization that has a mission, right? And when we think of organization, we tend to think of like companies or, I mean, Apple. Apple has a mission. You know that? Apple has a mission, and they do work, and of course, it costs money. It takes a lot of talent and energy. And you know what their mission is? It is, and I, and I read, the, and this is how I know, because I read the book. I read Steve Jobs' book. Their mission is to build insanely great things. <laughs> that's really what it is. Insanely great. They don't want to, that's why other people just make whatever phone. You know, you know name, name your no-name Chinese company that builds a smartphone. Apple builds an insanely great phone. That's their mission, and they fulfill it. Right? But are they a family? No. <laughs> Uh, they just cut these people. We don't need you anymore. In fact, they literally build the product and then they'll fire those people. That's what will probably happen. That's what they do. But there are, other comp there are other groups that have a mission. How about the Marines? The few, the proud. And what's their mission? To go to foreign lands, defend us, and to spread democracy and freedom. That's their mission. That's what they do. So there's an organization aspect to it. But are they a family? I, I think they try to be a family. They never leave anybody behind. But do they have this deep fellowship? Do they have koinonia? I don't know. Maybe in a non-church organization, maybe the Marines are the closest. They might be the closest. But they're not the church. The church is a beautiful hybrid. There's an organization. They have a mission. But they're also a family. The church is a family. And the... And no company, not the Marines, is like this. And you and I are like, this, our church, we call it a family, and we are a family. If you're one of us, um, just yesterday, we'll celebrate your baby coming. There was a, a wonderful baby shower that happened yesterday. And you know what? Nobody makes people do that. Nobody makes people sacrifice the time and energy. We do it because we love each other. It's real. Um, we visit each other when people are sick. I don't know if you know this right now, but one of our elders, Elder Yang, some of you know him. Right? Um, news came out this past week. I got an email that his tumor is growing and he had to be hospitalized. I fear he's getting toward the end. It was a very painful thing to read. And um, if he does indeed pass away, we will all grieve together. Right? And um, we, you know, just yesterday... Um, I, was, uh, I, was, I was over at Pastor Young's house, and Everly was playing around, 
and we have these we have these ceremonies, and it's a baptism, and 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 uh, everybody's going to get baptized, and she is Daniel and Anna's baby, right? But she's not only Daniel and Anna's baby; she's our baby too. <laughs> she actually is part of us, right? and when we baptize her, she's, we're saying literally, <laughs> "You belong to the church." I mean, she's part of us. We go to weddings and we dance. We were like. For a while, we're the only people on that dance floor. <laughs> that was really crazy. I was like, two-thirds of the people on this dance floor are from our church. <laughs> Literally, our church, our family, <laughs> was dancing it up at Alex and Renee's wedding because we were so happy. Right? That's the, that's the family. And so, but think about this. Well, just think about what a church is. It's a hybrid and you got to have both. But when people come into the church, these days we're all selfish consumers, and we already have this idea of what we want out of church. And most of you, all of you, me too, you already, we all kind of like this, we want this and we want this. And the people who like, uh, who like the church to execute really well, have a really nice building, a really great band, smart systems, uh, they allocate their money really well, all this stuff, Usually they, they like to go to a bigger church because the bigger church has already proven they execute better. They usually attract more money and then with that more money then they can put in more, they implement more programs and then they attract more money which do some more things, etc. And so those churches, the upside of those churches is they execute really well. Um, they can be really on their game. They can attract more people. They can just do more things. And um, people go in the church, they do this. But you know what? Those churches, they're really good on the organization side. But there's a downside to those churches too. And what is? You go to a big church, the more and more people there are, there's more and more activities going on, more and more systems going on. It's very easy to sometimes feel like, does anybody know me here? It feels like you're in the middle of an organization, not in the middle of a family. And I've heard stories like this. Some of you, many of you, maybe most of you, you actually picked this church because you don't want that to happen to you in a large church. It's happened to me. I've gone to large churches, and I'm like, hmm. <laughs> it's going to be really hard. I'm going to have to work really hard to be in this, uh, in, this, in this fellowship for quite some time before people actually know me and love me. Huh? And that loneliness is hard sometimes on the front edge of a church that's strong in organization. But their downside can be some piece of loneliness, and it, if you sometimes feel a lack of the family love. So some of you are going like, yes, we're better than them. We're not like that. We're, we really love each other, and that's what the church should do. And then you know what? The people who really care about that, they actually deliberately choose smaller churches because smaller churches, you, you can't help but go toward the family portion. Um, because quite frankly, if you don't execute really well <laughs> and, and then you don't love each other, who's going to go to that church? <laughs> that church is just going to plain die. So... A lot of the churches, in fact, the vast majority of churches, they're smaller and they usually emphasize family. But guess what? There's a downside. What's the downside? Well, well, the downside is if everybody knows each other, this is where everybody knows my name, then the church can sometimes start to become a clique. Not a church. This is why people go to church and they're like, I want everybody to be in the same socioeconomic class as me. It would be nice if everybody had the same ethnicity as me and skin color as me. But if that is the case, then we're a social club and we've stuck the name of Jesus upon it. 
And that's awful, right? That's the sin. That is the downside of an ingrown clique that calls itself the family of God. And we can't be like that, guys. <laughs> we can't be like that. And if we ever get like that and we get stuck like that and I feel like my leadership can't change it and we're not moving in the right direction, I'm going to fire myself. I'm not kidding. I'm going to fire myself and break that click because this church belongs to Jesus. Okay? It doesn't belong to any of us. It doesn't belong to Susan Young. It, it belongs to Jesus. And the family of God can't become like that. And if we're and if, we, if we're really going to be the church, we need this Paul and Epaphroditus and Philippian, this dynamic. I told you at the beginning of this series, I want us to be like this church. I want us to be a Philippian-type church. Last week, I said, I want us to raise up the very best people. We, want, we need Philippians 2-type men. And now I'm saying we need to be, have the Philippian church heart, mission. So we want to grow an organization. You know, and, and, and instead of just looking at it, so most people go to church and they're very insecure. It's like, I love my church. And then you know what we do? We start comparing our churches to all the other churches. In order to feel good about our church, you know what we do? We, we can't admit what's weak in our church, so everybody's in dial. Don't talk about that. That'll make us feel bad if you say that that wasn't good or that wasn't done right. No. I don't know if you, any of you ever noticed, but if you ever hang out in our leaders meeting, we just straight up say, oh, that sucked. <laughs> we'll just say that, that that didn't work right. And because we're secure in Christ, because we have a mission. And, we, and that mission, we're, we're not afraid to go into it. And thus, in order to grow in the mission, you have to be, admit that, that that wasn't good or it needs improving. It was good, but we can do this one small thing. We can't fix it perfectly, but we can do those. those are, this is the way we do things. This is the way that the pastors talk. This is how we try to do things in the steering. This is the way our, we want our elders and deacons to operate. Right? Well, let me talk about something else, though. Um, oftentimes, this church, this church is what's called a reform. I mean, it's literally in our church's name, reformed. Okay? Reformed means it's of a certain um, seriousness with the way we think about theology. It's, you know, it's, it's reformed from the Reformation time where in the medieval time, the Catholic Church got away from the Bible and they had to reform to get toward the Bible. So in our types of churches, so there's different types of churches and there are different types of tribes and different habits and strengths and weaknesses. Right? Our church tends to be very strong in the Bible, good on preaching, strong on prayer. We tend to care more about our history and theology and continuity and keep the wisdom of the past. Those are things that we're good at. But sometimes we're not good at certain other things. And sometimes the people that like our tribe, the Reformed tribe, we, they, we don't tend to mix very well with some of the other Christian tribes. So just to give you two examples, how about Charismatics or Pentecostals? And so people go to those churches and say, oh, I don't want to be around those Charismatic. They're like, whoa, and they blah, blah, blah. And then they think they got prophecies, and I don't want any of that stuff. And these people just get too out there for me, right? And so then, we'll say, and their theology is not very good, and we like to, and we want to put them down a notch. But I want to say something to you, my brothers and sisters. That's not a Philippines kind of church. Right? I want our church not to look at them and see what's wrong with them. I want to see what's in them, where we could learn in our, learn in our mission. What do they got that we don't got? 
What could we, what's the Holy Spirit doing in them that's beautiful and wonderful that attracts people to Jesus that we can gain? And maybe even if we're never quite as good as them on these things, it's okay. We'll, they'll be, you know, they'll be, they'll have like a super duper band and the music will be incredible and people just start crying all over the place. And, and maybe we don't quite get to that, but we can learn. And whatever their weaknesses are, you know, we, we'll just have mercy for them and we'll love them. See? Or how about these, uh, these mega churches? <laughs> these mega churches, they get these great systems. And instead of going, oh, well, they're just lonely there and listen to that pastor's talk. And, and, in, and in, oh, their systems weren't very good. And that's why, you know, that, that pastor, he thought he was a great celebrity. And now he cheated on his wife. And now good for them. And then we're like, ha. And we have schadenfreude and we're going to look down upon them. That happens in the church all the time. It's happening across America, and it's ugly. It's terrible. Let's not be a church like that. Um, I, I've gone to some of these big churches, and they have this really great band. You know what? I want us to have a really great band. <laughs> you know, all it takes is four more people like, like uh, Joseph. Um, they, in fact, he's really musically gifted, and he really loves the Lord. You can tell, can't you? And if we just had four more people like him, older and younger, we'd have a really incredible band actually and our worship would be incredible right that would start happening and i would love to learn how they do it I would, but let me give you something that the band okay i i want better music but something that's even more important um uh more than a little more than a year ago jen and i we went to the celebrate recovery conference at the one of the most the most famous mega church in america saddleback led by Pastor Rick Warren, who's the most famous pastor in the whole world. And it was crazy. It was like I stepped on a Disneyland. Their campus was like stepping on a Disneyland. It's really wild, okay? And, um, and which, that was nice. And but honestly, I didn't care about any of that stuff. But the way they reach um, suicidal people, addicted people, depressed people, that's something I'd like us to learn. Wow, okay? That would be incredible. Um, that would advance our mission, and I hope that would also advance our love for each other and help us to love people that we never knew how to love. They weren't, they weren't part of our clique. <laughs> hey, this person came into our church. Now this person's a member of my family. Outside of the church, they would never have been part of my clique, but now they're part of my family, and I'm going to love them <laughs> because they belong to Jesus. I belong to Jesus. We belong to each other. And I'll go to their funerals. And I'll go to their birthday parties and go to their weddings and the weddings of their children. That's what's going to happen. So brothers and sisters, you know, um, please push back on the click. And um, there's going to be people who come to this church. I don't know if you know this, but some of the very best members of New Hope Church may not even be sitting here right now. And I'm not mean because they skipped church Sunday. I mean... Because they don't know Jesus yet. Because they're wandering around the city. Some of the, the, the very best members of our church, our Epaphroditus, is out there. And, you know, if they walk into this, and they walk into this church, a lot of you know each other. You know what? They need to be greeted at that time. You know, when we do our peace of Christ, they need somebody to go up to them and say, welcome to our church. And after service is over, they need somebody to come up to them and say, hey, what's your name? Where are you from? And guess what? Things like this. You see this wall? They, they may go, they're going to walk in here and go, gosh, this wall is bare and just kind of sterile in here. 
And you know what? They don't, if you're a part of the family, you don't care what's on the wall, right? I assure you, my kids don't care that there's a mess in our family room right now because when they walk into the house, they care about mom and dad and each other. And you guys, after you've been in the church for a while, you just stop, you just stop seeing it. <laughs> you, 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 don't, you don't see these wires. You don't see these wires. You don't see like, you know, the equipment that's sitting out. You don't, you don't see this stuff anymore, okay? Um, but I assure you, when somebody new comes into the church, whether they're a Christian or not a Christian, they see all these things. And they're not part of this family yet. They don't have the love. They don't have the love. And you know what? We need to say welcome and put in a little bit more toward the mission and say, you know, they're, they're afraid. What if the person comes in, in, in the church? What if he's Chinese and, and, and has sexual attraction toward guys but is desperately lonely and longs for God? Steps into our church, he's afraid. He's afraid. He's afraid that he's like, everybody knows I'm gay. They're going to hate me. Oh, I'm not Korean. They're probably not going to like me. And what if he dropped out of college? Oh, these people are smart. They're they're not going to be, I'm not going to fit in here. And gosh, this room is sterile. Maybe I'll leave because I can't be a part of this place. So, I know you're like, oh, it's work. We're gonna. He, this is the pastor trying to get us to, to you to come out here to paint. Of course I am. <laughs> I'm getting you to come out here and paint. But the paint is not just a paint. It's to say welcome to that Chinese guy who will get saved and then he'll get baptized. Heck, he might even get married <laughs> and have kids. <laughs> and you will have those kids over to your house And those kids will be awesome kids, and you'll be so happy that those kids are friends with your kids. And then we're going to send that guy off to Ghana, and when he gets sick, you will cry. That's the church. That's real koinonia. That's why I want you to come here to paint. I will paint. I suck at painting. I'm a really not handy person, but I will come. Because, because this has to happen. It's going to happen. Let me go to part three of my message, the honor. You know, it says here, receive this man with joy and with honor. He almost died for the gospel. I don't know if many of you know this. You all want honor. You know what honor is? It's not, it's not like go up in front of the Academy Award. And everybody, that's, not, that's not honor. Honor is this. When people see you, they know that you have righteousness and worth and you live for worth. They embrace you. They welcome you. They appreciate you. You know where it really comes out? It comes out like at funerals. It comes out after people come back from these trips. Um, you know what's going to happen when Epaphroditus comes back from Philippi, um, you know, back to Philippi? He's going to say, they're going to be like, first they're all going to cry and they're going to embrace him. And then he's going to say, okay, we need, like, you know, we need our mission report, man. <laughs> he's going to have a mission report now. And then he's going to have a, you know, he's going to have a PowerPoint. Yeah, of course, I'm, I'm kidding, right? <laughs> he'll have a PowerPoint slide and he'll say, here's Paul. Here's what you could pray for. Here's what we learned. Here's what I experienced. Here's me when I'm sick in the hospital. And we'll laugh. Well, that's what happens. And we honor. That's why we have those things that we do after our mission trips. 
And brothers and sisters, you and I, you can't all only live for money and for comfort and for security. You and I, we all want honor. We all want somebody to see us and know us like this. And it's like this. It's because we live for the mission. And we respond not with works and smarts and resentment and blame, but, and with impatience, but we, we, we give it impatience and forgiveness and joy and always with love. You know why we can do this? See, um, I actually, I said this in the first service, and I actually kind of like rethought, am I going to say this again? Um, you know why I'm a pastor? Obviously, I'm not a pastor for the money, right? Um, some people have told me, Pastor, oh, I respect you because I can tell you, you know, you, you, you were smart at school and you went to hotshot schools and you could have made a lot of money. It's true. Huh? You guys know I went to some hotshot school. I could have gone to some, you know, hotshot law school or business school and I could have made money and I could have had a comfortable life and all those other little accoutrements that make the so-called the worldly good life. But the Lord called me for this for his church. And the church wasn't just some weird religious building that nobody cares about. It wasn't some socioeconomic and ethnic social club. It was his bride. It was his family. And don't you ever feel sorry for me. Don't you ever feel sorry for me that I don't make as much money for you or, or my car is not as nice or I don't get... I don't care about any of that stuff. I really don't. Actually, you should be jealous of me you should be jealous of me because I get to do gospel mission as a full-time thing. You pay me to do this. <laughs> you pay me to pray. You pay me to visit. You pay me to love. You pay me to cry, to go to funerals, weddings. In fact, you want me at those funerals. You ask me to lead them. <laughs> right? I get to be the family member, like sort of like the chief family member says, come on, let's do it. You, you kidding? Young and I, we live for this. So you don't ever have to be uh, looked down upon me. I feel, I feel sorry for you. <laughs> I feel sorry for you because you don't get to do this. At least not full time, but actually it's not true. You do get to do this. And I hope some of you doctors and engineers and lawyers and plumbers, stay-at-home moms, we get some really smart stay-at-home moms, highly educated stay-at-home moms in this church. And you will do this and spill yourself out for this, for this incredible bride, this thing called the church. And you know why the church can be like this? Because there was somebody named Epaphroditus. And you know why there wasn't Epaphroditus? And you know why there was a Timothy? And you know why there was a Paul? Because before any of those guys spilled their, their life out for the church, there was one. He was rich. He was always healthy. There was no disease. There were no jerks. There were no oppressive governments. And nobody was ever in prison. Everybody loved him. That was heaven. His name was God. His name was the Son of God. And he did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but he said, those people need to be served. Those people need love. They need a family. They need me. So he made, he made himself, he spilled himself nothing. He poured himself out and became a servant. And then he walked along self, 
while all these really dumb other guys called the disciples who were falling down and did stupid things and they weren't anywhere near worthy to go on this mission and they were always doing stupid things and even screwing up the mission, like falling down and becoming worldly and, and denying him and betraying him. And he bled for them, washed them, was patient with them, and loved them, and said, join my family, be loved by our Father, and this will go into the world, and you will change, we will change, the world will know when we do this together that God is real, God loves you, God loves us all, he's going to redeem the whole world. That person's name is Jesus. This is the gospel. This is what we do. It's worth your life. That's why we got this love going on. That's why we sacrifice the money. I mean, you guys are crazy. I, I just asked some of you guys to sacrifice for some dental work <laughs> of our missionary in Turkey, and pff, just money just starts spilling out of you. You're already doing it. Will you do it some more? It'll be incredible. Hmm. Let's pray.